Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Come on, worship team. Let's give our worship team a hand. Awesome. Awesome, awesome job. They put in a lot of work and a lot of prayer goes into the set list every single week. And so it's not... So they sound pretty, even though they do, but it's so that we can give our God the glory. Amen. And so, because we believe, Scripture says that he inhabits the praises of his people, or he sits in, he's enthroned on. So when we lift up his name, he is here. And so we want you to experience that. And you don't have to just do that on Sunday. You, you realize that, right? You can do that tomorrow morning on your way to work. And we all need that on Monday mornings, right? On our way to work, right? Let me introduce myself. My name is Stephen, um, the lead pastor here, along with my incredible uh, family. We planted Avenue Church back at the beginning of January, end of January, in the middle of a pandemic. And so God's done some incredible things here. We are celebrating 42 salvations since launch. And so come on. And 10 of those individuals are taking their next step with baptism today. And so we're super excited about that. And we're not trying to do anything different or better than the other churches in the city, but we're coming alongside them to help make room in God's kingdom and at God's table. And so we know that if every chair in Murfreesboro at a church was full, there still wouldn't be enough seats. And so we're doing our best to make room. Amen. If you're a guest with us, we want to connect with you. And there's two ways you can do that. You can do that digitally by sending the word Avenue Connect to 97,000. You'll receive a link. When you click on that link, there's a bunch of stuff. At the top of that is a connection card. And that is an easy way for us and for you to give us as little or as much information as you want, just so that we can follow up with you. We're not going to harass you. We'll send you a few text messages and emails just to celebrate you and just to encourage you and to stay connected with you. Um, Or if you would prefer on your way out, there's a connection tent. There is a Uh, Our team will be out there to give you a gift, but also to give you a connection card there if you would prefer to handwrite. Um, I prefer to handwrite. Anybody else? Like all my sermon notes are handwritten and it takes me way longer than if I typed it, right? But it just I just like writing stuff down. So if that's you, you can do that at the connection tent. And if, if Avenue Church is your home, we want to know what's going on in your world. Uh, so use that link weekly to let us know how we can be praying for you. You can use it to sign up for different things just to keep um, in touch with what's going on. It's also the easiest way to get a link to our podcast if you want to catch up or re-listen to a message. So with that being said, let's jump into a new series called How to Neighbor. Um, Anybody remember Mr. Rogers? Come on, man. We still need Mr. Rogers, don't we? Like, we need Mr. Rogers on a daily basis just to help us learn, like, really um, see what it looks like to be someone's neighbor. And so we're going to look um, at scripture today, and God's word gives us clear direction on how to be a good neighbor, even better than, than State Farm, right? So go to Luke chapter 10. <laughs> Luke chapter 10. Um, we're going to look at a couple of passages of, of, of scripture. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. When you're there, say, I'm there. 
some of you. Listen, if you don't have a Bible, you can download the YouVersion Bible app, and it's super easy. I use it on the daily um, when I'm standing in line at the grocery store just to kill time and to keep me off Instagram. So um, verse 25 through 29, it says this. One day, an expert in the religious law stood up to test Jesus. So they're in a church service like this. Jesus is, is teaching, and a guy in the back who's an expert or thinks he's an expert. We know those people, right? They think they're an expert, and they stand up to ask a question to test Jesus and say, Teacher, what should we do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus gives a reply. He says, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And, and one of the things we have to understand, whenever someone asks Jesus a question in Scripture, a lot of times we don't see him giving a direct answer. What he will do is he will do one of two things. A lot of times he will ask a question, just like he does here. Well, well, how do you read it? Or he will tell a story. And we'll see as we go through this over the next several weeks, he actually does both of these. So he asks, he says, how do you read the law of Moses? And, and here's why I think that. It's because I think honestly, because what he's trying to do is to get that young man to discover the truth on his own with him there. Because here's what I know in my life, like the truth that I discover I hold on to much longer than the truth that I'm told, right? So if, if we can learn to, to process and think about what God's word says, and this is why a lot of times if, if Avenue Church is your home, like you will hear me say, just like LeVar Burton from Reading Rainbow, don't take my word for it, right? But, but dig in God's word for yourself and discover for yourself what God's saying to you because it will stay with you much longer. And so Jesus asks this question. He says, what does the law of Moses say? And the man answered, he says, okay, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Be a good neighbor. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, with everything that you are in your entire being, and then love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus affirms him and says, right, do this and you will live. But then the man goes on to ask another question. The man wanted to justify his action, so he wanted to put himself on a pedestal and seem smarter. So he even asked another question to try to trick Jesus. And he says, and so who is my neighbor? Hmm? Like you've had those people in your life or you've had conversations with people and they're always trying to one-up you with a question that they don't think you can answer, right? But here's, here's the cool thing the guy didn't realize. He wasn't just asking a man a question to get truth. He was asking truth for the truth because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so he was getting more than what he bargained for and more than what he was asking for. And so we're going to look at what it means to, to be a neighbor. And in our society and culture, I think, you know, our, 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 we just need that more. And I'm not just talking about on your street in your community, because I moved from West Tennessee where I had a half an acre almost and land to Middle Tennessee where I have 0.12 acres. 
And literally, I can lay down between my house and my neighbor's house and stretch out and touch both of them. I can get a little claustrophobic. But he's not just talking about being a good neighbor and loving the neighbors on your street, but within your community, within your circle. And and we need to, to learn how to do this. And so he asks this question. He says, well, then who is my neighbor? And we won't read it all today because we'll dig into it more next week. But, but Jesus goes on to tell this parable and tell a story about this Jewish man who was traveling. And he's traveling down the road and into a valley, and he gets attacked by some robbers and thieves. And they beat him and essentially leave him for dead and take everything that he has. And as the story goes, it says that, that a priest who is a pastor, a very religious man, is walking down the road, and he sees him and crosses over to the other side of the road to avoid him. And then a second um, person comes along who's the assistant to the pastor, not the assistant pastor, right? Not the assistant regional director, but the assistant to the regional director, right? So this is the assistant to the priest. And so scripture says that, that, that he doesn't just see him and walk across, but it says he walks over, looks at him, comes close, doesn't do anything, and then crosses to the other side. And then there's a third individual that comes, and we know him in the story as the good Samaritan, and we'll talk more about how next week, why this is such a big deal, but the good Samaritan comes over, walks over to him, and then begins to care for him. Scripture says that, that he heals and binds up his wounds with, with oil and with wine, and then he takes him to an inn and continues to care for him and pays the bill for the rest of the time and even tells the innkeeper, look, if this isn't enough, next time I'm here, I will even pay more what is owed. But what I want to key in today for you and I is really not the, the foundation of the story, but the foundation of the two greatest commandments. And it says to love the Lord your God with all your, with all your being, but then to love your neighbor as yourself. And this, is, this statement, this great commandment is what we call it in church. It's found in three of the four gospels, so it's really important. It's actually a reference to some statements that were made in the Old Testament in Leviticus and Deuteronomy where God is giving some direction to the children of Israel through Moses, and he tells them very simply like this, love me with everything that you have and love your neighbor just as you would love yourself. And I think if we would follow those two things, we could solve the church starting just with the church, not those who are outside the church. But if, if you and I, and I'm putting, like, I'm not perfect. I get this wrong probably more than I'd like to get it right, is that if we would learn to do these two things, to love God with all that we are and love people as we wish to be loved, it would be a much better place. Like, you guys remember the song back in the early 2000s, Black Eyed Peas? It's like, where is the love, right? Matthew, play that after service. That'll be our walkout song, right? <laughs> it's like, like, they need to bring that back, and they need to rotate it on the radio a couple times a day, like, to remind us, like, we need to bring the love back into culture, into society. And guess who the love bringers are, guys? It should be us. We shouldn't be waiting on a politician. We shouldn't be waiting on government. We shouldn't be waiting on our bosses. We should be the ones initiating, bringing the love. Okay, and so Jesus is, is, is reminding this guy of this. And so this is, this is mentioned in all three or three of the four gospels. And next week we'll 
better understand who our neighbor is. But I want us to look in Matthew 22, um, which is the first book of the, of the New Testament, first book of the gospel. We see this conversation playing out again. Instead of, instead of the, the young man quoting it, Jesus is in turn quoting it. And, and he says this in Matthew 34. 22:34. Let me turn there and write it down. Matthew 22:34. It says, "But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert of the religious law, tried to trap him with this question: Teacher, which is the most important commandment? And so Jesus replied, "You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all that you are. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is equally important." Love your neighbor as yourself. In verse 40, this is what I want us to, to, to jump off of from here. Verse 40, Jesus says this. He says, the entire, guess what that means? All, every word, every word of the law demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. And some of your translations may say, like, you can sum up every law, every word of, of the commandments of God's law in the Old Testament is given to his children. Everything can be summed up by these two. And so many times we, like, we get this picture of Christianity just being a list of rules and laws that we have to follow. I know for me, before I came to Christ, like that was one of the things that was preventing me from making a commitment, even as like a middle schooler, because I kept thinking of, of all the stuff that I would miss out on when I got into high school or college. I was like, man, Jesus is going to rob me of all my fun, <laughs> right? But what I didn't understand then that I understand now is that type of fun has consequences that I don't want to experience. And so loving God helps us fulfill those laws and those commandments. Loving people helps us fulfill. And so just, just to break it down very simply, like we, we know the Ten Commandments and, you know, they're in some courthouses, in some schools, but if you've been to church at all, you've heard a sermon or sang a song about the Ten Commandments, and it's have no other gods before me, make no other idols, don't take the Lord's name in vain, keep the Sabbath day holy, honor your parents, don't kill anybody, right? Don't murder. And some of you probably like you've heard this say like thou shalt not, right? I don't speak that way. All right. So it says don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. And so these are the these are the big ten and really like like all the laws of the Old Testament can be summed up into those ten. If you wanted a Cliff's note version, you guys remember those? A Cliff's note version of the law, it's summed up in those ten. But then Jesus condenses it even more for us to understand and say it's, it's, it's not just those 10, but if you fulfill these two, you fulfill those 10. Because here's, look, look, when, when you love God, you will by nature have no other gods before him. When you love God, you will have no other idols before him. When you love God, you will do your best not to take his name in vain, whether that's through cursing or by swearing on his name. Because what that means to take someone's name in vain is to take it and hold it lightly, not to respect it with the value and the weight that it has. And this is a big one. It's like, if you truly love God, then you will honor the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath the Sabbath is a day where we stop our regular work. 
And scripture says this, that, like when, 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 Jesus, when, when God finished all of creation on the seventh day, he rested. And it said he looked back and saw all that he had done and that it was good. So when you and I, when we take our Sabbath, what we're able to do in loving God is we stop and we look back at all that he's done. And it's easier for us to be grateful. But that's taking a full day. And like we were to take a poll and I was like, how many's taking a full day of no work? Everybody chuckles. <laughs> that's because it's really hard. And I'm not saying you don't love God if you don't work. But what I'm saying is scripture says, look, if you love God, then you're going to want to take a break and you're going to want to spend time with him. So when you love God, you fulfill those first four commandments. And then, so the next six is, you know, honor your parents, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't covet. You know what encapsulates all of those? Love your neighbor. Because when you love your neighbor, you're not going to kill them, right? It, well, but I love you to death. How does that work, right? It's like, I love you so much to death. But if you love your neighbor, you're not going to lie about them or to them. If you love your neighbor, like if you love your spouse, you're not going to cheat on them. The temptation will be there, but the love should be the motivator to help us overcome that temptation in all these areas. The temptation to lie, to, to get ourselves out of a predicament or to protect someone else is, is there, but a greater love pushes through the pain and the awkwardness and tells the truth, even though the truth, what? Hurts. But the truth also sets us free. And so when we love people, we speak the truth. And Paul says this, we speak it how? In love. And so when we walk out in love, it fulfills all the commandments. And the second thing is this, is love is the message of the gospel. The gospel means good news. And it doesn't get any better than how much God has loved us. And, and like Tim Tebow is just trying to get back into the NFL. But like when he was, when he was playing, he had John 3.16 under his eyeballs all the time. And we know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, the very motivation and the message of, love, of, of, of the gospel is God's love for us. And we've all been to those places where we've seen people preaching a gospel that is not love-filled but is hate-filled. And we've seen those signs that says God hates the drunks. God hates whatever that sin is. And what they're doing is they're labeling people based on their sin. God doesn't label us based on our sin. He labels us based on the sacrifice that he's already made. So his label for us is son and daughter and child. We just haven't accepted that title yet. And so, so many times, like, and, and, and yes, there, there is some truth and there's some principalities and that, that we need to understand that there's judgment, that there's consequences that God does hate sin, and he despises those who sin, but it is also his desire that no man shall perish. That's any of us in this room. That's anybody walking down the street. That's anybody that's not in church today. That's anybody waking up with a hangover this morning and a headache. That's anybody who's waking up considering like their life. He wishes for no man to perish but for every one of us to be in relationship with him. And so the very foundation, the message is love. And the third point is this, when, when we look at what is love, and love is the greatest. I know Muhammad Ali thought he was, 
but he ain't got nothing on love because love overcomes a multitude of things. And so we see, we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you want to turn there, it'll be up on the screen as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if you've ever like been at a wedding, and I've performed a dozens of weddings, and this is a scripture that is read multiple times, and we'll look um, in verse 13. So 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And in my Bible, the New Living Translation, the title of the chapter is actually Love is the Greatest. And so that's why I titled this, like, like Love is the Greatest. There was a movie, and I had to go back and kind of remember the, the premise of it. There was a movie, and I'm going to date myself, and it's crazy that this year dates myself. There was a movie that came out in 1997. And I remember when my pastor would use like song references or movie references that came out in like 1979. I was like, God, that's the year I was born. It's like, I don't remember that. And so now I'm referring back to 1997. And some of you guys probably weren't born then. So, so you may not have seen this movie, but it was a movie with, with Bruce Willis and Chris Tucker and Mila Jovovich, if I said that right. And so it was a movie called The Fifth Element. And it was a weird sci-fi movie, like super weird. And Bruce Willis had like bleach blonde plugs. It wasn't really hair. I don't know what it was. And, and, and Chris Tucker is just hilarious and whatever he's in. But, but the whole premise of this movie is like the world is about to be destroyed. And there is this woman that they think that is the hope of the world to save. And so they have to get all these elements together. They have to get the four elements together, earth, wind, fire, and Water. I couldn't think of them right there. I was started thinking about the group, Earth, Wind, and Fire, and I stopped right there. <laughs> it's like, what's next? <laughs> it's September, right? Um, <laughs> and so I was trying to like figure. So it's Earth, Wind, Water, and Fire. And so they get all these little stones together, and they they activate these four elements. And Mila, and I can't remember her name, but she's like on like the edge of dying. And so Bruce Willis is embracing her and, and the guys are in the background like, just tell her, just tell her. And, and you can tell in the movie that their relationship has been growing through and, but it's kind of weird and awkward because like, is she a robot, a cyborg, alien? I don't know, like, how does this work? And so like, she's almost at the brink of death and he embraces her and lets her know his love for her. And it activates the four other elements. And then it gets all weird and light shoots out of her mouth and it blows up the stone. So the illustration really breaks down there, <laughs> right? It really breaks down there. But the part that, that I was just like, wow, like love isn't just the fifth element. Like it's the only element. Like love is the greatest activator of our faith, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of those is love, is love. Love breaks down barriers. Love overcomes obstacles. And, and, and we can have a great church service, and we can go out and do incredible missions work, and we can do all of that. But, but if we're not doing it out of love, then it's completely worthless. And, and Paul even tells them this. He says, if I could speak in all the language but didn't have love, I would just be making a lot of noise. He says, if I had the gift of prophecy and knew all of God's secret but I didn't have love, I would be nothing if I gave to the poor and sacrificed my body, but I didn't do it in love, then I would have nothing. See, it doesn't matter how good we act and what, like how good our actions are. If it's not based in love, then it's pointless. Because it is not just the fifth element, but it is the greatest element. And so love is an action. 
Bob Goff wrote an incredible book several years ago called Love Does. Like love just doesn't think, love just doesn't feel, love just doesn't like say, but love does. Love is an action. And so there's things that, that love does that I want us to understand. First John says this, First John 3.18 it says, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other, but let us show the truth by our actions. It was, again, dating myself. There was a song in the 90s, like, it was like, what if I couldn't say, like, if I took those words away, and it was these long-haired hippie guys playing acoustic guitar, like, like more than words, if I took those words away, how would you say that you love me? If we took those words away, like, like, how would we say that? We would say it with our actions. And that's why Paul is saying, let's not just merely say, but let us show. So as a church, not just Avenue Church, but the body, we have to go beyond saying to showing. And we set up yesterday at the Jazz Fest, and man, it was hot, and we were right across from, you know, the food trucks, and so we had grill smoke blowing in our face, which smelled really good, and funnel cakes, and so we were, we were just doing sand art. But I'm telling you, watching our team interact with the kids and the parents, they could have been doing anything else on a Saturday, but they were moved by love. And to hear them speak to those children, you could tell those just weren't words, they were love-filled words. To see them smile, it just wasn't an empty smile. It was love-filled smiles. And so for us, our actions need to represent the love that's in our heart. And there's, there's four things that we see happen in this story that, that illustrates love. And the first thing love does is love combats selfishness. Love combats selfishness. It comes against, because the priest and Levite, like there's some requirements. Like if you're a priest and Levite, like you can't, you can't touch a, a dead body. You can't touch someone who's injured because then you're ceremonially unclean. And so they were probably thinking, if I go touch that person, then I can't go to church. And we have that mindset, like if I'm seen with this person, what will my church people think about me? And so many times we guard ourselves and try to protect ourselves when we know, like deep down, like we need to move in love. We need to act in love. And so love combats selfishness. The Samaritan pushed past that. And, and you got to understand, and we'll talk next week, and that the Samaritans were despised by the Jews. And the Jews were despised by the Samaritans. And so the selfish thing for him to do would be like the other two, just to keep walking. But Paul tells us this. This is, this is what love does to combat selfishness. In verse 4 of chapter 13, he says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. It does not demand its own way. Think about this, guys. Like how much in this season have we tried to demand our own way? How many times, even in relationships, whether it's parenting or marriage, do we try to demand our own way? It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Verse 7, love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. See, when we come from an attitude and a motivation of love, it's going to be real hard to be selfish. But that's, that's like our flesh, man. That's, that's our um, 
flesh man just trying to push through to get our way, have our way, and we have to crucify that. We have to, Paul says, to put to death those things that are hiding so that we can push through in love and not be selfish. The second thing is, is love cares for others. The Samaritan didn't just go over and hand the guy some money and say, be well, I'll come check on you. But he stopped, he paused, he took care of him physically. He bandaged up his wounds. He anointed him with oil. He took care to make sure he had a place to stay. And then he made sure he could stay as long as he needed to. See, love moves us in a direction to take care of someone, to take care of their needs. Love, third thing is this, is love pays the price. The Samaritan could have even done that. Look, look, dude, you've got two nights. After that, it's on you. Like, you got somewhere else to go. But he said, no, I'll give you two nights and however long you need. He said, I'll come back and I'll pay for it next time I'm in town. And we see, like, Jesus paid the price. And we said this earlier in the worship, like, Jesus paid the ultimate price for you and I. He didn't negotiate. He didn't try to cut a bargain, cut a deal. He paid the price. And so what does it look like for you and I to pay the price? Well, I'm going back and reading through the Sermon on the Mount real slowly. You want to be challenged? You want to be like, man, I got some things I need to step up on? You pay the price when you live through those things, when you walk out those things. And Jesus tells that, that we should turn the other cheek when we've been slapped, when we've been offended. We just turn the other cheek and offer them that cheek. Have you guys ever been slapped? You're not turning the other cheek. You're walking away, right? You're like, I'm not, I'm not. Nope, you got one chance. But Jesus is saying, look, if somebody slaps you, don't just turn the other cheek. Some translations say to offer the other cheek. It's like, thank you, sir. May I have another, right? It's like, he's saying, he's saying, offer the other cheek. He's like, all right, what you got? Bring it. And you go on and read. It's like if someone takes you to court and they ask for your coat, don't just give them the coat. Give them the shirt off your back too pay the price. If someone asks you, and he talks about a soldier, if someone asks you to carry the weight for one mile, just don't carry it one mile, carry it two. So what are some ways in our life that, that we can go beyond and, and pay a price? You know, one of the pastors that's planning a church uh, this fall, he was posted on Instagram yesterday, just something simple. Somebody had paid for his Starbucks. So when he pulled through the line, he had to pay for it. So guess what he did? Paid for the person behind him. And so that's something simple that when we pay the price, it meets needs, then God meets our needs. And then the last thing is this. Love reflects the Father. And that's ultimately what we want to do. Love reflects the Father. And when you look at the story of the, of, of the Good Samaritan, in essence, in what Jesus has done, Jesus has crossed over to come to us who are broken, who are beaten, maybe not physically, but emotionally, spiritually, who maybe feel like we've lost everything or we don't have anything and maybe we feel stranded. Jesus crossed over to us. The Father sent him over to us to, to, to show us love, to bandage our wounds, to make us whole, to give us a place to belong, a place to come into, a place to call home, to be with him as long as eternity is. And then Paul says this statement. He makes this statement, in, or John says this in 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. I'm going to read this slowly because if you're a follower of Jesus, and, and I, I want this to sink in to you and I. It says, no one has ever seen God. But 
if we love each other, then God lives in us and his love is brought to full expression in us. See, when we love other, when we love other people, we're not doing it out of our own love because we'll talk about next week how to love the unlovable, right? But we have a commandment to love others and it's not with our own love because that runs out really quick. But when we love others with the same God, with the same love that God has loved us with, then this is what it says. It says, his love is brought to, say this, listen, to what kind of expression? Full expression. That means when we love others, they don't just see us. Guess who they see? They see God in us. When they hear our voice and our, our, our words are, are full of love and expression of love, they just don't hear our words. They hear God's words. When they experience our embrace and our embrace is motivated and fueled by love, they just don't feel our embrace. Guess whose embrace they feel? His embrace. And so church, listen to me. Like what the world needs now is, is, is for you and I to be better neighbors. And it, it simply starts with us being bringers of love by loving God first. And when we do that, he empowers us to love those around us. And the world would look much different. Our lives would look much different if we would understand that everything God asks us to do is summed up into these two things. To love him with everything that we are and to love those around us just as he has loved us and how we wish to be loved. So that's a call for us that are followers of Jesus. But for those of us that maybe aren't or maybe we've walked away, it's hard for us to give out what we've never experienced. It's hard for us to understand what we've never experienced. And so you've, you've heard me say this, and maybe church for you and Christianity for you has been all about rules and regulations and do this, don't do that. And let me set you free today just by hearing the voice of Jesus and saying, look, when you love God, everything else is taken care of. When you love people, everything else is taken care of because that will be the motivation. And when you do those two things, you fulfill those two commandments. And maybe you've heard the gospel preached and yesterday even at the festival, there was some doomsday preachers and it's kind of funny. They were not funny, sad really in some instances. Everyone was gathered on one side of the courthouse. And there was laughter and there was joy and there was chicken on a stick. <laughs> and then on the other side of the courthouse, there were just these two men and they weren't preaching a gospel of love. They were preaching the gospel of an angry God and there is anger against sin. But scripture says it's the goodness of God that brings people to repentance. And so maybe you've not had a good experience in church or Christianity because the message wasn't on love Hear my voice, hear our heart that we want you to experience God's love beyond anything else. And then maybe you've had earthly examples of love that was selfish, that wasn't very caring, that didn't pay any kind of price and sure didn't reflect the heart of the Father. But see, Jesus was the ultimate good Samaritan. He was rejected by the religious but he still crossed over so that you and I could have life everlasting. 
And so I want us to close our eyes and bow our heads. And if you're in this room today and you've not, you can't fulfill those two commandments because you haven't experienced the love of the Father or the love from a neighbor. In this moment, I want you to experience that. And, and, and here's what I want you to do. Just do a quick kind of inventory of your life where you've been hurt by others and maybe where your life has hurt the heart of God. And scripture says that when we come into repentance and that means to turn our ways, to turn around, when we change directions, when we have a repentant heart and we ask for forgiveness, that in that moment we are forgiven. And the sacrifice that you've heard about, talked about, maybe even saying about, you fully understand was made for you. That Jesus died for you so that you could be forgiven, so that you could experience his love. And if that's you today and you need a savior, you need someone who loves you unconditionally, I wanna ask you to just to make an acknowledgement of that by simply raising your hand. Just saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you in my life. And I'm sorry for what I've done. Awesome. All right, look up here at me. Listen, there's some hands that were raised and there was also, I know, some hearts that were raised in this moment. And it's not raising your hand that saves you. That's simply saying, I need help. And it's the next point, the next moment we're about to enter into. And that's, that's where you get to have a conversation with the one who created you, with the one who loves you, with the one who gave his life for you by simply saying, Jesus, I'm sorry. And Jesus, I'm giving you my life. And I wanna take the life that you have for me. So it's not my words that save you, but it's yours. And so I don't want you just to repeat after me, but just simply saying, Jesus, I'm sorry, I give you my life. I'm trusting you, I wanna follow you. Lead me and guide me. And then for the rest of us that are walking with Jesus, I pray that we would walk a little bit closer and that we would be his hands and feet filled with love a little more, amen. So let's pray together. Father, we just come to you this morning and I thank you so much for the hands that were raised and even more so for the hearts that were raised and what you've done in this room through your presence and worship and even through your word today, God. Your, your word says that it's just like the rain in the snow and it goes out and does exactly what it's supposed to. So God, I pray that it would, it would take root in our lives today and it would change us from the inside out. And God, I pray for those who lifted their hands saying, I need you in my life, or those who maybe didn't feel confident enough to do that because they thought maybe you wouldn't accept them, but they whispered a prayer in their heart. God, I pray that you hear that prayer. God, that you see their heart and that right where they're seated, they experience your love beyond anything else. God, that when, the, when Satan and the enemy tries to bring up the past and whisper thoughts and, and words of shame and condemnation and guilt, that they would be reminded that you call them son, that you call them daughter, that you call them forgiven. God, that you would give them the courage and the strength to live for you, even when it's hard, even when it's confusing, even when it doesn't make sense. Because as they move forward in all that you have, the enemy's gonna try to push them back into all that he has. So God, guide them and guard them. And for those of us who are the church, not just coming to church, but we wanna be the church, help us 
God, not just to say that we love others, but to truly show your love, to reflect your heart with our actions and truth, God. Let us combat selfishness by moving in love, God. Let your love move us to care for others. God, let it just to help us walk out, to pay the price, but more so to reflect your heart. And so, Father, we thank you for this in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. Come on, let's put our hands together.